Wedge Issues is brought to you by Wispolitics.com, a place where political insiders go for news, opinion, and campaign information. Once again, that's Wispolitics.com. After a long and impressive career as a journalist, most recently reporting on state government and politics for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, Jason Stein left the Capitol Press Corps last year to take over as research director at the Wisconsin Policy Forum. The move made sense since he was already kind of the resident budget nerd in the Capitol Press Room. I'm Jesse Opoyan, and this is Wedge Issues, a Cap Times podcast about state government and politics in Wisconsin. Jason joined me this week to talk about the research his organization has done on Governor Tony Evers' state budget proposal, on the dairy and manufacturing industries in Wisconsin, and the condition of the state's unemployment fund. They may not be the sexiest topics, but they're all really important, and Jason knows a lot about them. And if anyone can make them interesting, he can. Stay tuned for that conversation in just a minute. Well, I'm excited to have my friend and former Capital colleague, Jason Stein, here, who is now the research director for the Wisconsin Policy Forum. Thanks for being here, Jason. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, so tell us a little bit about the Wisconsin Policy Forum and, and what that organization does and why you made the transition from reporting and, and kind of what your reporting background is and, and what you do now. Sure. So the Wisconsin Policy Forum is both a pretty new and very old organization. So it was formed by a merger in January 2018 between two organizations. One was the Public Policy Forum in Milwaukee, which was more than 100 years old, and the Wisconsin Taxpayers Alliance, which went back to the Great Depression. Both those organizations look at government finance, education, you know, state government, local government, issues like that from a nonpartisan perspective, but truly nonpartisan. Many people say they're nonpartisan. <laughs> right, right. We say it and we try to meet. We do our best to meet it. And myself, I was a, a business and then capital reporter for the Wisconsin State Journal and then Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and transitioned into this new role where I continue to write about uh, the things I used to write about. About a year ago, almost exactly a year ago. It's it's a good role because you were kind of always the person in the press room that the rest of us who didn't know what we were doing when it came to uh, looking at the numbers that would come out in a fiscal report. You were kind of the guy that we would, would go to, and now you can be that guy in a real way and not as a competitor, so it's good. <laughs> well, I don't think you guys need help, but uh, if I can do a little bit of service here and there, then I'm happy to do it. So you guys have put out a, a lot of reports, and I know you've got a new one coming out that we'll talk about a little bit later, but I think we can probably start by just looking at the state budget, which Tony Evers introduced his first state budget, proposed it to the legislature a few months ago. We're about to really sink into the big fight over it as the legislature kind of determines whether and when they're going to introduce their own version and what that's going to look like. Sounds like it'll probably look a whole lot different than what the governor proposed. But one of the concerns I think that we've heard from Republicans from the get-go is that the the spending really uh, increases in this budget. Can you talk a little bit about what that 
looks like, how that compares to you know previous uh, proposals and, and what the nuts and bolts of that are. Sure, absolutely. So you do see some substantial, you know, spending increases in the budget. And maybe to step back just a little bit uh, to about where we find ourselves, right? So we're in the midst of a expanding economy. Things are really as good as they've been since 2000. So that we have that uh, going for us. And in that environment, you have people calling for you know, making some investments in programs and services like education and healthcare that maybe haven't been able to be prioritized in the way that they were in the past. On the other hand, you know, you still have the question of where tax is going to be and also how strong is the state budget going to be with the understanding that times are good now. They won't always be good. We hope they're good for a while, but if they're not, we also, you know, when that eventual recession comes, whenever it comes, we also want to be ready for it. And the good times are the times when you can prepare for that. So that's the yin and the yang of it. So what's going on with spending in the budget? Uh, it certainly increases a lot. When you look at all funds like state and federal money, it's up 5% a year in the two-year budget. And when you look at the state's main account, which is called its general fund, that's up 4% in the first year and and more than 7% in the second year. So definitely some substantial increases in the budget. And this is coming after, you know, I've, I, I covered a, a few of, I think, all, all but one of Governor Walker's budgets, and you, you covered all of them. And the, the first few budgets that Scott Walker introduced were a lot heavier on cuts and trying to rein in spending. I think his last budget was a little bit more. Um, it was it was more spending than Republicans were really prepared to support at the time. But you know that was also a re-election budget, and that tends to be that way. But that was coming off of uh, a much less uh, prosperous time when when he came in. And I, I haven't asked you to prepare for this, but can you kind of look back to what the conditions were at the time when when Governor Walker was looking at those budgets? Sure. So. When he took office January 2011, the state had a roughly $3 billion projected shortfall ahead. And so what the governor chose to do, the governor had been the governor at the time had been elected on a pledge not to raise taxes, to solve the budget shortfall and not raise taxes. So what he and the Republican legislature did was they reduced state aid to schools and local government. You know, they did a variety of things, but the thing that really brought the budget into alignment was lowering that state aid. And the way they made it a little more manageable for local governments and schools is they passed uh, Act 10, 2011 Act 10, which repealed most collective bargaining for uh, state and local workers and also required them to pay more for their pension and health care. And that provided some savings at the local government level that helped to cover the loss in state aid. Although, you know, so that kept the local budgets also at least manageable. Uh, At the same time, it also meant that there was less take-home pay if you were a teacher, if you were a snowplow driver for the county, you know, that sort of thing, if you're a state employee. And so, you know, that, that gets added into, you know, sort of the pressures at the local government level um, that we're seeing even now. And so, you know, for instance, last year, one of the things that we 
talked about was the fact that there was record school referenda. Uh, to So voters at the local level voting at record levels to raise their own property taxes to provide more money for schools. So, you know, that's some of the – and there, that's happening for a lot of reasons, including because the economy is good, so people feel able to do it. But to a certain extent, some of what happened, you know, almost a decade ago may be part of the mix in terms of the pressures that are that are driving what's happening now. And, and something that backs up or, or is backed up by the votes we've seen in referenda is that polling shows that uh, voters are comfortable raising their taxes to improve their schools, but they're still not so comfortable doing that to improve their roads. But, um, you know, a lot of the, the priorities that we're seeing in Tony Evers' budget are things that tend to be backed up by polling that are popular right now in terms of accepting the federal Medicaid expansion and uh, putting more money towards schools. How would you compare uh what we're seeing in terms of the, the the items that he's chosen to prioritize, what do those priorities look like compared to what we saw in the previous administration? And how do we see those kind of uh, funding differences? Well, one thread that is fairly common is, you know, increases in education. So, I mean, the Governor Walker's last budget had a fairly sizable increase in education funding uh, in the 600 million dollar range over two years. Obviously, Governor Evers would increase it by 1.4 billion over two years. Pretty big difference between 600 million and what, yeah. It's it's a big number and a really big number. Yeah. Um, In addition, you know, you talked about uh, one of the main differences is that Governor Evers would expand the Medicaid program to provide health care for the needy by taking federal money available under the Affordable Care Act. Obviously, Governor Walker was very opposed to doing that, and I think the Republican legislature are very opposed to doing that. Th- those are some some major things. A- another really important thing at the local level financially is the caps on local property taxes, so city, county, uh, technical college districts, as well as school districts. Governor Evers would take steps that would provide all of those local governments with some inflationary increases where as under the existing state law and the previous state budget, there would not be those increases uh, for some local governments. Like, for instance, cities that aren't seeing new construction, they aren't seeing new buildings and homes being built, they wouldn't see that increase in their ability to raise property taxes under current law. And one thing that both budget cycles have in common is there's still a pretty big disagreement over what to do with transportation. But one big difference coming from the Evers budget is that he is proposing a gas tax increase, which, as you mentioned earlier, uh, the Walker mantra throughout his entire tenure was not raising taxes. And um, so that was just something that was not on the menu uh, when he was in office. And I guess we're going to have to see how that fight shakes out. But it sounds like um, there's some willingness to raise revenue. But in what way that's accomplished. I don't think we know exactly, yet. Yeah. Exactly. And you did see in previous budgets, you saw a real increase in debt that was related to road building and bridge building and an increase in the share of the transportation fund that got devoted to making debt payments. The governor's proposal, Governor Evers' proposal, would raise taxes, but it would also decrease uh, borrowing, at least for roads. Now, in a separate part of the budget where you look at uh, buildings, so, you know, state buildings, uh, particularly on the UW campus, 
the governor would authorize a, a big increase in in borrowing for that. So those are you know some of the the trade-offs that would happen under this proposal and you, you always see that right there's always a tension between do you invest or you know with the cost and the you know potential taxes or borrowing or what have you that comes with that or or do you try to make do and you know in some cases maybe not attend to all the priorities that you have yeah um, any other major budget trend lines you're, you're keeping an eye on as this process plays out? Well, one thing that we talked about that you maybe don't hear as much of in everyday discussion of the state budget is what's happening with the fiscal strength of the budget side. So mm-hmm. the state is supposed to close the current year with almost $700 million in uh, reserves in its main fund. It would even, under the governor's budget, that would grow in the first year. But then in the second year, we would use a lot of that fund balance to, we would spend it down to help cover these increases for schools, other priorities in the governor's budget. And so one thing that that would mean would be that on the one hand, we would be addressing some priorities that the governor argues haven't been adequately taken care of in recent years. On the other hand, in the midst of a good economy with 3% unemployment, we would be essentially spending down the reserves that we would have in the event of a recession. So that's, you know, and and that has been historically for Wisconsin a real tension that's been there. And, and obviously when the last recession hit, the state was not in a good position uh, compared to history of the 1990s or compared to other states to weather that recession. So that's also something to consider as we think about how do we act now when times are good, knowing that we hope they're going to be good a long time, but we don't know that. Sure. So speaking of tensions and priorities that an elected official squabble over, how to spur job activity throughout the state and in particular in, in some of the sectors that play a larger role in the state's economy is a question that comes up a lot during policy debates, during budget debates. Um, In particular, how is Wisconsin treating the manufacturing industry, which is a a pretty sizable chunk of the state's economic activity? Um, And and your organization did a report on this. Uh, This is something that comes up when we talk about Kimberly-Clark giving incentive money to Kimberly-Clark, which seems like it was ages ago when we were having that fight, but um, continues to come up as we look at the state's deal with Foxconn and uh, question, you know, what what is this the sensible policy in terms of providing incentives to companies, and and what does the state get back in return on that? Um, what did you look at in in the report that you guys put out on this? Right. So last fall we put out a report looking at the manufacturing industry, looking at the whole variety of state incentives that exist to help support that industry, and sort of to take a step back and and say, looking at the trends that are happening. You know, what does this say about our strategy as a state? Are there things that we could take away from this that might better inform how we approach the economy, you know, approach not just manufacturing, but all the other important sectors going forward? So I think what you can say about manufacturing in Wisconsin is it is critical to the states. If you look at the share of the workforce that ends up uh, 
being accounted for by manufacturers. It's like 16%, which along with legislators, uh, Indiana, it's like we're one of always one, the highest or the second highest state in the country in terms of share of employment that comes from manufacturing. So, and a lot of other measures, once again, very important, very important to our exports. It's an industry that provides above average wages, you know, in many different ways. At the same time, when you look at manufacturing now compared to 20 years ago, it's an important part of our economy, but it's a smaller share of the state's economy today than it was, you know, 20 years ago. And and that has been sort of a steady shrinking of that role over time. So I think that's worthwhile context as you're sort of looking at the big picture of this. Now, you look at what the state does for manufacturers. Um, Our recent report found that the state provided in fiscal year 2016 an estimated $928 million in various tax advantages and incentive awards to manufacturers, either in terms of the industry as a whole or individual companies, and that that was up from $725 million in 2008, even after you adjust for inflation. So at a time when manufacturing is a smaller part of the overall state's economy, it, it continues to receive you know, a very significant uh, investment on the part of the state in terms of support for the industry. And we sort of talk about that. So in, in your research, did you look at the state's manufacturing and agriculture tax credit? That's um, something that comes up in political debates a lot, kind of a, a football that gets tossed back and forth. Democrats have been wanting to scale it back for years, arguing it does too much uh, for the wealthy. And Republicans have been arguing that this is really important for the manufacturing industry. What did you learn about it in, in your research? Well, obviously, it is very timely right now. What that tax credit does is it eliminates almost all tax liability for manufacturers from the profits they make from their products at factories. The governor is proposing to eliminate that credit, uh, most of that credit, and to use the money for other things like providing a 10% income tax cut for low and middle income taxpayers. The manufacturing ag credit is unusual, at least compared to the surrounding states, uh, don't have something like that. At the same time, they do have other things in their tax code that apply to corporate taxes that do help to diminish some of that advantage that Wisconsin manufacturers receive from that tax credit, and we don't need to get into the technical details of that. It's, you know, there's provisions called um, throwback provisions about how uh, out-of-state sales are handled for tax purposes, and that helps to make up some of the difference between us and other states in that area. Did you have any other major takeaways or, or recommendations that came through in that report in terms of how Wisconsin handles manufacturing? I mean, I think the thing that you come away with is that once again, you know, manufacturing is critical to the state. And I think in particular to a certain segment of the workforce that may be able to access family supporting wages through manufacturing and may not have uh, the education skills or runway left in their career to get that income in another way. So I think, you know, both from an economic perspective, but also from a broader social perspective, you know, manufacturing clearly plays a very important role in the state. At the same time, it is a role that is is contracting, that, you know, the other parts of our economy are growing 
as a whole more quickly than manufacturing. So as we continue to provide incentives to that industry, that is something to consider. Both, you know, how do we uh, take care of this very crucial part of our economy in the here and now, but are, how do we also balance that against having the right approach for not just this year and next year, but the next 20, 30 years of the economy. And, and I think there really is some tension there that's got to be resolved. Wedge Issues is sponsored by WISPolitics.com. You can become a WISPolitics.com member. Find out more at WISPolitics.com slash membership. You've also studied another sector that's incredibly important to Wisconsin, being America's Dairyland, the the dairy industry, which has been really struggling uh, quite a bit. And we've been seeing dairy bankruptcies. We've been seeing this play through in terms of mental health issues and um, economic issues. This really has a a far-reaching effect in Wisconsin. And there are a lot of questions about how to lift this industry or how to help this industry lift itself out of out of the position that it's in right now. Um, what did you guys look at in, in your dairy farming report? So what we looked at was a whole variety of factors, but the key finding that emerged out of that was looking at milk prices and bankruptcy filings in Wisconsin. So there's something under the federal bankruptcy code, it's called Chapter 12, you didn't need to worry about the technical details of that. But it's basically something that is used essentially in Wisconsin by family farms. And there's even sort of a technical definition of family farms. And what we saw was that uh, filings, bankruptcy filings under that chapter between 2014 and 2017 more than doubled. It's It's a relatively small number, but that chapter also is one that really may not be ideal for your average farmer. So the fact that you're seeing it rise, even if the numbers are relatively small, is probably an indicator of the much broader and deeper distress that is out there within the dairy industry. And that I think you see anecdotally in the news, you know, almost every week. Yeah. Uh, And we did find that with a lag, as milk prices dropped, you did see those those bankruptcies rise. So, you know, there, there did appear to be a relationship there. Uh, and then, you know, also in the report, we, we drew out a lot of other indicators about what are the sort of structural changes that you're seeing happening in that industry. We can talk about those. Sure. Is this, is this a somewhat uniquely Wisconsin problem? So it, it is and it isn't. So obviously, the problems in the dairy industry reflect low milk prices, and, and those are really a, a national and even sort of global phenomenon. So on the one hand, it is a national problem and not just a Wisconsin one. On the other hand, when you look at Chapter 12 filings, the increase in Wisconsin was larger than other upper Midwest states. So that may reflect the fact that we have a number of small farms. So our farms in Wisconsin skew small, especially our dairy farms. And they may, as small operations, lack the sort of resources that would enable them to better weather out hard times like these, especially as 
you're not having a few months or even a year of, of low milk prices, but this prolonged period of, of low prices. Yeah. And so what contributes to milk prices dropping or rising, and uh, what other factors contribute to a farm declaring bankruptcy? Right. So again, there are a ton of factors, and some of them are not even national, they're international. But just to sort of look at uh, Wisconsin as a microcosm of what's happening, at least at the at the national level, you see in Wisconsin that we have as many cows as we did. The number of cows we have is, is fairly stable. Um, but you see the milk production per cow rising steadily over time. So farms continue to get more and more efficient at their production and and milk overall milk production rises. At the same time, you have trends nationally where consumers are not drinking as much milk per person as they used to do. We are eating more cheese as a country, but that doesn't make up for the drop in in milk consumption. And you know, you think about products like soy milk, you know, rice milk, things like that that didn't exist, or at least they didn't exist <laughs> in my small in my small town <laughs> Kansas upbringing. Um, that demand isn't keeping up with the increase in consumption, or excuse me, in production. And so that's just basic economics that that, that drives the price down. And at the same time, too, in some ways, as you, as a farmer, it can be sort of a vicious cycle because if you're not making as much money for every gallon of milk that you produce, your temptation may be to produce more milk so that you can sort of make it up on volume. Sure. But then, of course, if everybody does that, then that doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't help you. And in fact, it does the opposite. Yeah. So what possible solutions are, are being discussed or what are ways that are being considered to work the way out of this problem? So, I mean, I think that's the, the difficult thing. Governor Walker appointed, and it's continued under Governor Evers, a dairy task force uh, 2.0 that sort of reprises an earlier effort in that, that realm. And so it's it's got stakeholders uh, from uh, the industry and, and related groups that are have been meeting and trying to come up with solutions. Uh, one of the challenges I think that state leaders face is I think they obviously on a bipartisan basis, really want to do something for mm-hmm. for the state's dairy farmers. The the challenge is that again, milk prices aren't a something that any single state, even a dairy state like Wisconsin, can, can impact on their own. Mm-hmm. It really is is national and even global. So that really introduces some some challenges because in certain ways, even things that the state could do. Uh, might arguably be counterproductive. I mean, one thing that the state does is it enables farmers to makes it easier for them to borrow by by giving loan guarantees and things like that. Well, but part of the challenge is that farmers aren't able to pay the debts that they have now. Mm-hmm. So making it easier for them to borrow, on the one hand, might allow them to become more efficient and better able to weather hard times. At the same time, um, going more into debt may not be what a lot of operations in the state need right now. So that that's sort of the, the tension and the challenge that uh, the state faces as it tries to be helpful at this time. Yeah. Well, last but not least on our list of topics, you have a new report out, and it's uh, studying the state's unemployment fund, which we've been enjoying very low unemployment in Wisconsin for 
over a year now, we've been kind of at or below that 3% mark. Um, and, and Governor Evers is proposing making it both easier to get those benefits and increasing the, the level of benefits that are being doled out. What did you look at in your report? Well, so we've been sort of on a roller coaster ride for, for unemployment in the state. So obviously the state has an unemployment fund. It takes payroll taxes from employers and it uses that money to pay benefits to workers who lose their job through no fault of their own. And what you saw during the Great Recession, so, you know, uh, 2008 through 2010, is the state was really, the, the unemployment fund was not ready for that recession. It was not really even ready for a more modest recession, let alone the severe one that we had. And so the state was, the fund was unable to pay the jobless benefits that people were claiming at that time. And it had to borrow more than a billion dollars from the federal government to be able to make those payments. And as it turns out, the federal government wants that money back. And so what the state had to do was raise taxes on employers to help start paying that money back. And what would be the challenge of that? Well, the challenge of that would be unemployment is meant to be something that provides help to workers and stimulus to the economy when times are not good. And when you're raising taxes on employers during a recession or right after a recession, you're you're actually, that's counterproductive to what you're trying to accomplish. And so since then, uh, the fund has recovered significantly. And so we now have, uh, at the end of 2018, we had more than $1.7 billion in that fund. So it, you know, we went from being more than $1 billion in the red to being $1.7 billion in the black, which is the best that fund has been since about 2000. Uh, so that's a good news story, that taxes mm-hmm. on employers are also at their lowest levels that, that they can be at. So again, in that sense, things are good. Governor Evers is proposing in his budget increasing benefits to workers now that uh, things are somewhat better. So the state right now pays the maximum benefit you can get as uh, somebody who's out of work and receiving jobless benefits is $370 a week. That is below the national average, which is uh, $446. At the same time, though, our unemployment fund, even though it's better, still lags most other states in sort of the level of reserves that we have. And we also still have not met the recommendation, the recommended levels of reserves that the federal government would like to see and that would qualify us for, for low interest loans if, you know, God forbid we go back into recession. And so we would have needed something like $1.9 billion in at the end of 2018 to be at that level that the federal government recommends. So we'll have that report out, and that sort of looks at uh, the tension between, on the one hand, having the fund in a position that it's ready in a recession, and on the other hand, again, you know, keeping at benefit levels in this state at, at levels comparable to, to states around the country. Sure. Kind of the same push and pull we've been talking about throughout this conversation of what can you do for people now versus how do you prepare to take care of things down the road? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's just an inherent challenge in in state government in Wisconsin. Historically, Wisconsin has been really good about long-term challenges. Like, like for instance, a lot of states like Illinois to the south have unfunded pension liabilities Mm -hmm. that 
range into the many billions of dollars. In Wisconsin, we have our pension is basically fully funded. Uh, and we have, you know, for those sorts of long-term obligations, we're sitting pretty good. On the other hand, in terms of our year-to-year budgeting, uh, we often cut it really close. So we're sort of like a a household that they have a pretty good retirement savings. Mm -hmm. And in the long term, things are looking pretty good. But on the other hand, they a lot of times are making it with their checking account just has enough to make it through the end of the month. Um, And so that's been, you know, for Wisconsin, a lot of times the tension or the challenge is in the year to year operations of the state. And that's sometimes where the state has left itself exposed to you know, challenges during recessions. Well, this has been enlightening uh, for me. I hope for our listeners too. I appreciate you coming in. Uh, I will not let you get away without asking you the questions that I ask all the candidates that I have on here, even though you're not running for anything, I don't think. Here we go. What's your favorite Wisconsin beer? I mean, Moon Man has always been, from New Glarus, has mm-hmm. been sort of a go-to beer for me. It's not That's not like a very exciting answer, but... It's a good beer though. Yeah, when I go to the beer cooler, I, I often gravitate in that direction okay uh, i mean most people just say spotted cow so you got you changed it up a little bit with a little the, bit the new glarus yeah uh and your favorite wisconsin cheese mm, that's a good question i i like blue cheeses and i'm not gonna be able to give you a brand here but then also it's i think pleasant river reserve like has an aged cheddar don't they yeah that's, like that yeah, one yeah, too. yeah yeah yeah, so yeah. There you go. a lot of good cheeses around uh, well, how can people find you and your work and the policy forums work? So to find the policy forums work, wispolicyforum.org. Uh, you can find all our reports there. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at uh, Jason, M as in Mary, D as in Dog Stein. And uh, yeah, look forward to the conversation. Great. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. Our theme music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. We'll be back every Friday with new episodes, so make sure you're subscribed on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so you can stay up to date. If you have any feedback or suggestions for me, you can find me on Twitter at jessieopie, or you can email me at j-o-p-o-i-e-n at madison.com. While you're waiting for the next episode of Wedge Issues, you can also check out our other Cap Times podcasts like The Corner Table and The Mad Splainers. We'll see you next week. Wedge Issues has been brought to you by Wispolitics.com. There are plenty of benefits to becoming a member. You can go to Wispolitics.com slash membership to find out more.